Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Hear then the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's last chapter that he wrote in holy writings before he died. To Timothy. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Persist in it, whether convenient or not, or be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn away aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, that's what we want. We want your grace to be with us. And so we ask that through the preaching of your word, through your spirit working in the word, and through you answering this specific prayer, we pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that you would work boldness, that we might declare your word in season and out of season. We pray, Father, that we would finish the race strong. We pray that we would fulfill our ministry individually and corporately as a church family. And we pray that your grace would be with us to do this so that our life would count for eternity. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the biggest fears in life in America and also um, that's largely in our culture is the fear of not being fulfilled. If we don't live a life that we think is fulfilling, then we feel like we're, it's not a life worth living or it doesn't count. And uh, this can be seen, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Santa Barbara um, killer who killed, uh, let me see how many here. He was a 20-year-old who shot and killed college students. And he had a little manifesto, actually not a little one. It was hundreds of pages. And his big gripe was that uh, as a college student, as a 20-year-old, no woman would sleep with him. And so he, was, he felt rejected. And he wanted to go to the, the, the most attractive sorority and just start shooting all of the women there to punish them for rejecting him. And in this, he even has a YouTube video, a home video that he made that was posted online, where he gives this, he has a sly laugh. It's just very dark and evil. Um, the night before, he's about to, to do this, and um, he laughs at the world, as he says he's going to take down the world, because he didn't have a fulfilled life. Because he, he felt he had a right to something, and his right wasn't being fulfilled. And that's an extreme case of wanting to be fulfilled, but that's not abnormal to want to be to have a fulfilling life. Others might wonder, what if, like Pastor Don mentioned this morning, what if my children never come back to the Lord? My grown children, what if they never come back to the Lord? For some singles, they ask, what if I never have kids? What if I never get married? Or what if I never get out of debt? What if I never have the financial flexibility I need? What if I never have the friendships and relationships I need? What if this church or this country never gets to where it ought to be? What if I never get the career job I want? Or what if I never get healthy again? What if I don't get that really important thing that's left on my bucket list? What if I never feel fulfilled? All of us have a desire to be fulfilled, and that's not a wrong desire. It just depends on what you find fulfillment in. And Paul here zeroes in on where Timothy is to find fulfillment. And it's in verse 5. Do you see verse 5? He says, As for you, Timothy, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And what? What's that last part? Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We all want to be fulfilled, and we all want to live for something. And here's what God has for every single Christian. He has gospel ministry for them. Not for pastors only, not for church leaders, for Christians who, who know Jesus and who know non-Christians and are to introduce Jesus to them. It's for Christians who know other Christians who need encouragement from God's word. For both of those people, that's what gospelizing is. The reason why I call it gospelizing and not evangelizing is because when we think evangelizing, we're thinking of sharing the gospel with who? Non-Christians. But the New Testament says you evangelize Christians too. That doesn't mean Christians need to get justified and get saved all over again. It just means that they need the gospel to help them endure and live the Christian life as well. And so we share the gospel and apply it to everyone. We want to love our neighbors to the same degree we love ourselves. And so we need to fulfill our ministry. And so to do that and to unpack this chapter, I want to look at three, three commands, really two commands, but I'm going to split it up into three. And um, in these three commands, we want to define what the ministry is that we're trying to fulfill and then live it out. So point number one is preach the word. That's your ministry. 
Your ministry is to preach the word, to tell people the Bible and point to who the Bible points to. And who does the Bible point to? Jesus, right? And so we want to declare the word. That's verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through the end of the chapter, I'm going to say point number 2 is fulfill your gospelizing ministry personally. That's point number 2. Fulfill your gospelizing ministry personally. And point number 3 is fulfill your gospelizing ministry corporately. Okay? So first, what is the gospel? What is the ministry? What is my task? What is your task as Christians? Our task is to preach the word. So look at verse 1. Verse 2 is the command, but look at verse 1. There is no command of the Bible that has this kind of introduction. Listen to this introduction to feel how heavy this command is. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Wow. What an introduction to a command. Preach the word as the command, but I'm solemnly charging you, Timothy. It's before God, in the face of God, in the face of Jesus. And Jesus is going to judge every single person you talk to. He's going to judge all of your church. He's going to judge every neighbor you have. He's going to judge you, Timothy. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to come back again. And you're going to have to stand before him. And he is coming soon. So preach the word. And... His kingdom is already going out. His sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule is going out into the world. And it's going to come finally and fully when he returns. In light of all of that, I'm going to die, Timothy. Here's the one command. Preach the word. Proclaim the message. Preach the word. And what is the word? It's a biblical word. We get the word from the Bible. Who gets to write the message? God does. Do we get to edit the message? Do we get to white out some parts of the Bible we don't like and rewrite the things we do prefer? No. We are not the ones who write the letter. We're the, we're the mail carriers, right? We're the mailmen. We just deliver the mail. And if you can't read, which, to carry this analogy further, imagine us carrying the mail to people who are illiterate. So we have to read the letter to them. Even when you read the letter written, you're not allowed to make up the letter. You're not allowed to change things. You just read what's there. And that's what we're doing. That's your job. That's my job as a Christian. We are to tell people what God has said in the word. Preach the word. And so it's a biblical word, and it centers on a person. And that person, like we said, is Jesus Christ. Remember 2 Timothy 2.8 says, Keep your attention on Jesus Christ. Or remember Jesus Christ as risen from the dead. So who are we to preach? We're to preach Christ. Be careful of preaching the Bible and not preaching Jesus. This, this morning when we had our lunch upstairs, we got in a discussion about homosexuality and the place of that in the church. And I just want to say, should we be clear on whether it's a sin or not from the Bible? Yes, we should be clear. But is that all we should say? No. Who do we want to point them to ultimately? To Jesus. We don't, we, ours is not a ministry of condemnation. Ours is a ministry of reconciliation. We want to reconcile people to God. And if you're going to do that, you need to tell them that they're sinners. You need to be specific about what sin is. But then you don't leave them there. You've got to tell them about Jesus. The gospel is good news, not just news. So we should have a smile on our face when we're talking to non-Christians. Even those we disagree with. Hey, neighbor, I know we disagree on this issue, but I have good news for you. 
We have a Savior who died for sins and rose from the dead so that if you turn from your sins and trust in Him, you can be forgiven of all your sins. He'll even live in you and transform your life and then He'll take you to the new heavens and the new earth. That's good news. That's hope. That's forgiveness. That's cleansing. That's freedom. That's reconciliation. And every heart longs to be reconciled to God. They're just confused by their sin. And so we preach the word. If you're not a Christian, that's the word to you. Trust in Jesus who died and rose. Okay, so how do we apply this to us? First of all, every Christian needs to be a gospelizer. Now you might say, PJ, this is not this was written from Paul to who? Timothy. And was Timothy a pastor or was he just a church member? He was a pastor. Now every pastor is a church member. But he's more than that. He's a, I mean, he's a church member and he's a pastor. And so you're saying, PJ, this message, this command is not for church members. This is for pastors. And I want to say yes and no. You're right. It is for pastors. All the more. Pastors are accountable when they stand behind a desk like this, what the old Christians used to call the sacred desk, the holy desk. You don't come here to play games. You come behind this desk to preach God's word with seriousness, with gravity, and with clarity. And so, yes, this is for pastors, this is for me, and this is for any pastor God might raise up in our church to join in pastoring this church. And so, for, uh, for the church, we need to be able to hold pastors like me accountable to make sure we're preaching the word and not just our own ideas. But it's not only for pastors. Preaching the word is not behind a pulpit only. That's what we think of when we think of preaching. But when the Bible uses the word preaching, it's everywhere. I know there was a Sunday school class here that went through the book of Acts for many weeks, and they're preaching everywhere, and they are not prepared sermons, right? They're in certain contexts. They're in jail. They start preaching. Peter and John get out of jail. They start preaching. The Holy Spirit comes down. People think they're drunk. They start preaching. Was that a prepared sermon behind a pulpit to a church body? No. It was preaching to non-Christians the gospel. That is preaching. That is heralding. And every Christian has this responsibility, and it's not just a responsibility, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to share the gospel with non-Christians. And so, we need to preach the word just like Paul did, just like Timothy is told to, just like pastors are. All of us are to preach the gospel. And when are we to do this? In verse 2. Be ready when? In season and... Out of season. So in other words, all the time. In season is when it's convenient. When someone really wants to hear. Now that's the funnest times to preach. Right? When you get a neighbor who says, what must I do to be saved? Right? Then all of a sudden you get a huge smile on your face. We're ready to go. That's the best question I could hear, right? You just made my day asking me that question. That's in season. But then there's also out of season. Where there's opposition. Anger. Resistance. Bitterness. Should you preach the word then? Or only when it's in season? Also when it's out of season. Right? That's our job. Our job is not to take the... We're not politicians. We don't take the latest polls and see what people like and then say what they want to hear. We are gospelizers. We have a message. And we give it to people. When it's convenient and when it's not. When they agree and when they disagree. And that's the whole point of 2 Timothy, right? Share in suffering for the gospel. You only suffer from those who are resisting the word. As it says, look at verse 15. 
Uh, when he's talking about Alexander, he says, Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed what? What did he oppose? The message. Our words. It wasn't about me versus you. It's about the words. That's what I'm opposing. That's what they will oppose when you preach the word. They'll oppose your words. They'll oppose the message. But keep preaching the gospel and the Bible. Whether it's convenient or not, that's why we have to suffer. And that's why Paul's writing from jail. He's in jail because he preached out of season. But he still has to preach. And then look at, um, look at, chapter, look at verse 2 again. What is this preaching supposed to consist of? Rebuke, correct, and encourage. You see that? Three things there. Rebuke, correct, and encourage. Rebuking is telling people what they did wrong. What is wrong? So in other words, as Christians, we do need to be clear. This is a sin. This is not a sin. You are sinning or you are not sinning. As Christians, I mean, isn't our world and culture confused today on what a sin is? Who is going to be the voice of clarity in Los Angeles, in your neighborhood, in our culture? The church is supposed to be the voice of clarity on what is a sin and what is not a sin. And so we, tell, we define what sin is, not by our own definition, but by the Bible, and then we tell people. And again, it's up to them to choose to receive or reject it, but we're saying this is what a sin is, and then we tell people whether they're sinning or not. That's not popular in our culture where they say, judge not lest you be judged, which is true. We should not have a judgmental attitude, but it still says, Jesus says, after you take the log out of your own eye, remove the what? Remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's still a place for rebuke. There needs to be in the church. Not only rebuke, but we don't want to just tell them they're sinning. What's the next word there? Rebuke, correct, or reprove. So don't just tell them what they're doing wrong. Tell them the right way. Instead of doing that, this is what God wants you to do, and this is what God's telling you to trust Him as you obey this. So correct, and then what? Encourage. So don't always be down on people, right? You want to leave on an encouraging note. Now, they, not, they might not be encouraged. I, I could confess that if you rebuke me for sin and if I'm overwhelmed with pride in that moment and you try to encourage me after, I might not feel encouraged when you walk away. But you still try, right? If it's out of season. So you encourage with, with what? With what? In verse 2. Great patience and teaching. Not just patience, because Paul knows our weakness. How should we be teaching? With great patience. We said this on Wednesday night. I'll say this here. Um, I was teaching one of my children to read. And actually, this comes from the same word in, well, before I get there, 2 Timothy 2.24, it says, uh, or in 2.25, it says, that the Lord's slave must instruct his opponents with gentleness. That word for instruct is paiduo, which is the word for, you know, um, pediatrician. Ped means what? Child, right? So paiduo is basically instruct your opponents the way you'd instruct children, patiently. Like a parent to a child. Why patiently? Now, um, I got a first-hand lesson in this this week because um, my wife takes the kids to home to their homeschool co-op. So then I'm home with story to teach her how to read. Have you ever tried to teach a five-year-old how to read? Some of you have. You just sometimes might want to bang your head against a wall after a little bit because you're you know, C A, K K. What does A sound? A, ah. K. And you're, you know, you're doing that over and over. And like for them, it's hard for them to make that connection. And you just, you can't get frustrated. You can't, you know, you can't frown. You just keep going. And it's, you have to be, you have to do it with great patience. You know, because you're like, why can't you get it? Everyone else gets it. Well, not everyone's five years old, you know. 
And so, same thing with, the, with you as a gospelizer. Whether you're gospelizing members of this church or other Christians, or whether you're gospelizing non-Christians and preaching the word to non-Christians. You don't just do it with patience. You do it with great patience. Let them spit in your face. Let them hurt you. Share in suffering for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient, be loving, be encouraging, be clear, and keep saying it with love and joy and gladness and and longing for them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, so that's verse 2. Preach the word with great patience and teaching. Now, why? Why do we need to preach the word with great patience and teaching? Verse verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So why should we keep preaching the word? Because the times we're in, what's going to be popular in the times we're in? In verse 3, they're not going to tolerate sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine for us? It's the great orthodox teaching. What are the greatest doctrines that every Christian should defend? God exists, the Trinity, one God, how many persons? Three persons. How many gods? One God, not three gods. One God, three persons. That's orthodox teaching. Is Jesus God or man? Both. Is he half God and half man? What is he? Fully God, fully man, in one person. That's orthodox teaching. Is the Bible the inspired word of God, or is it just a human book? It's the inspired word of God. These are the great doctrines that we teach. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Is that popular today? Right? Stand up in a the marketplace. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. Everyone's going to clap and cheer you on, right? Wrong. Try that in a university, Cerritos College, right down the street. Yeah, right. You know, you're not going to get cheered. You're going to get booed there. Why? Because in the last days, people will not tolerate sound doctrine. They won't. Instead, what are they going to want in verse 3? According to their own desires, they're going to multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They have an itch and they want their teacher to what? Scratch their itch. He's not teaching what I want him to teach. He's not scratching my itch. And you know what's going to happen in the last days? Churches... And all kinds of congregations will be filled with teachers who merely scratch the itches of the majority of the congregation. And that is not what Timothy is supposed to do. He's supposed to preach the word and preach sound doctrine even when they don't want sound doctrine. In verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to what? To myths. They'll do anything to not believe the Bible On Wednesday morning, in our last Wednesday morning class, we brought up the Da Vinci Code. How many of you are familiar with the the book, The Da Vinci Code? It's a fictional book. And a lot of people took that fictional book as proof that Christianity is not true. Because Dan Brown talks about there's other Gospels and the Bible we have and the Jesus we have that we're teaching, Orthodox, sound doctrine Jesus, is not the true Jesus. And so people in our culture took a fictional book and said, I put my faith in this book. The Bible can't be true. Wow. That's literally preferring to set aside the truth and believe a fictional book. A myth. This past week in the New York Times, 
there was an article on fortune tellers, palm readers and uh, tarot card readers who were convicted and were um, being tried in the criminal courts because they took, some took like $57,000 from a client or 100000 and they just basically conned the guy. And so they're being, they're, they're being questioned in this article and they're saying, well, how do you tell them the future then? And then one of the, one of the um, fortune tellers, she says, I just listened to their conversation in the lobby. They start talking to their friends. They start talking about their life. And then I just get them in front of me and I take everything I heard. I might look them up online or so, you know, I like get some background on them. And then I'll sit them in front of me. I'll put these cards out and I'll just start telling them what they want to hear. And then they're ready to, they're ready to pay. They're ready to pay. They'll believe a myth. Just tell me what I want to hear. And if you don't, step aside. I'll find a teacher that will tell me what I want to hear and scratch my itch. And that's what's going to happen last days. Timothy, First Southern Baptist Church, PJ, that's what's going to happen. But you preach the word in season and out of season. Great patience. They're not going to tolerate it. They're not going to tolerate sound doctrine, but give it to them in love and patience, but give it to them. So that's what, and then verse 5. Verse 5 gives us, but, but as for you, and I think we'll, because of the time, we're going to, we'll stop here in verse 5. We'll, we'll meditate on this and then we'll pick up next week the rest of this. But as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now this is true, not only for Timothy and pastors, but for all church members. Why should you preach the word? Because you have a ministry to fully carry out, to fulfill. And what does he tell us to do in verse 5? First of all, be what? In verse 5, first thing is to do what? Be Serious. Is that what your says? Keep your head. Okay. Keep your head. Be sensible. Be serious. Don't lose perspective. That's very easy to do in, in ministry, not just pastoral ministry, in church ministry. It's very easy to lose perspective and make a mountain out of a molehill, right? As the saying goes, that's a loss of perspective when you make a mountain out of a molehill. So be serious about everything. And the big things are the main things. And what's the biggest thing of all as I look out at you and as you look at me? Here's one of the biggest things that I always see, that I try to always keep in my mind. Everyone I see in front of me will either be in heaven or hell in 100 years. That's true, right? Just look around anywhere. Your neighbors, people at the store, people driving next to you at the red light, they will be dead in 100 years. And they will either be in heaven or hell. And that's not a joke. That's just reality. So keep your head Church, family, be serious, be sensible. What are the big issues? People are dying. Faith is real. Christ is real. Hell is real. Judgment is real. And so there's no time for joking around. Eternity depends on your ministry. And I'm not just saying this as a pastor. I'm saying this as you. As a neighbor, the eternity of your neighbors depends on your ministry in a very real sense. Now, God's in control of everything, but that's not an excuse for us to disobey, right? We don't just believe that God is, God is sovereign, and He is. We also believe that we are responsible and we have choices, right? We are responsible to share the gospel with people. We are responsible to teach them because eternity depends on us preaching the gospel to them. Ultimately, it depends on God, but we are still responsible for that. And that's why I don't like to joke a lot 
in the pulpit. Not that you can't. I'm not against pastors who, who tell a lot of jokes. But just personally, um, if, if a natural joke comes out or something funny, that's fine. But I never ever try to plan jokes generally because this is just so... The, the, the stakes are so high that we just need to be about the gospel and about the souls of men and women. So be serious or keep your head. But let's finish verse 5 and then we'll, we'll be done for today. Be serious about everything. Endure hardship. It's not easy. It's not easy. The only times it's easy is in the middle of revival. Right? When everyone's coming to faith in Christ and everyone's on fire for God, that's the times it's easy. And even in revival, revival doesn't even last that long because... Sometimes there's true conversions and there's false conversions. So you've got to deal with that type of stuff. We'll talk about a false conversion in verse 10 later or next week. Demas, one of Paul's missionary men, a missionary who actually turned away from Christ and fell in love with the present world. That's in verse 10. And we'll talk about Demas next Sunday. But the point is we endure hardship, endure heartbreak, endure disappointment, endure opposition, endure slander, endure hardship, endure physical pain. Health deteriorating. Endure it, continuing to trust in Jesus and make Christ known to others. Do you know that when your health deteriorates and you're still trusting Jesus, that speaks volumes about the glory of Jesus to others? Remember what Job's wife said to Job? Why don't you just what? Curse God and die. And we have so many members here who have not cursed God. They have not cursed God. They have clung to God and said, yet I will praise him. I will trust him. I don't know why this is happening, but I trust him and he's good and he's God and I will honor him and praise him to the very end of my days. That speaks about the glory of the gospel of Jesus in someone's life. Endure hardship. Endure hardship. It's not easy to endure trusting God. Next in verse 5, do the work of a what? An evangelist. That's gospelizing there. What is evangelism? Let me define evangelism briefly. Evangelism is not sharing your testimony. Should you share your testimony? Is that a good thing? Sure, that's a good thing. And I think you should share your testimony. Is evangelism apologetics and getting into science and historical facts? No. Apologetics is a good thing too. Right? If someone says, how do you know Jesus really existed? That's an apologetic question. That's good to have apologetics. But that's not evangelism. Evangelism has the evangel. Or gospelizing has the gospel. It's about who? Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, faith in Christ and repentance from sin. That is the message of the gospel. So evangelism is telling people about Jesus' saving work with an aim to persuade them. With an aim to persuade them. John Lee, um, one of our church members here who led us in singing, he just asked me this this morning at the lunch tables upstairs, I was able to evangelize. I was able to share the gospel with someone. And John Lee asked me a very good question. He said, did you challenge him or did you ask him about his response? Because evangelism is not just saying Jesus died for you. It's saying he died for you. Are you going to repent and trust him? In other words, you're also fishing for their response. You're not just saying Jesus died for you. I hope you believe. And then you walk away. No, no, you want to actually, if you're having a conversation, you want to ask them their response. So do you want to trust in Jesus? Have you turned away from your sins or is there still something holding you back? That's part of evangelism. You're aiming to persuade them to trust in Jesus. Now we know who's the ultimate persuader. Us or God? God, right? So I don't want to put undue pressure on you. Don't look for different tricks. There's one 
horrendous, horrible evangelism book that says, I can convert anyone if you give me 20 minutes. And in the back of it, he has like, he says, put your hand on their shoulder and then bow your head. They might not bow their head at first, but bow your head and don't look up. They'll bow their head eventually. And then just start praying. And it's just all these strategies of getting this person to pray a prayer, which is just not, they'll pray the prayer if you just, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll ask God to save them if you tell them the gospel and then they, they believe in Christ. They'll, they'll call out on him, call out to God to save them. You don't have to do these strategies of, of, you know, get the, get the lighting just right and get the mood just right before you, you preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Don't do any tricks. Let the Holy Spirit do his work as you preach the gospel. And so that's what we do. We gospelize and speak the truth. And the last part of verse five, before we close, fulfill your ministry, fulfill your ministry. When Jesus saved you, he saved you from sin unto his glory. Get that? He saved you from sin unto his glory. Or another way to say it, Jesus saved you from your sin to tell other people how they can be saved from their sins. Jesus saved you so that you might do good works to help others come to know him. That's your ministry. When you were given the gift of salvation, you were also given the gift of ministry. There's no Christian who doesn't have ministry. You know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. But what does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for? For good works, which God did what? Prepared when? Beforehand, so that you should walk in them. Ah, you're not just given salvation by grace through faith. You were given good works to do on this earth that were given to you, prepared for you, before God said, let there be light. Your name, your good works, your neighborhood, your family, your church, your city, your good works. Go do it. Fulfill your ministry. Like Pastor Don said this morning, don't waste your time. Fulfill your ministry. Life is short. Eternity, judgment is right around the corner for all of us. Even my five-year-old and my two-year-old. Judgment is around the corner for my two-year-old. Life is a vapor. So fulfill your ministry. Get after the work. God not only prepared who would be saved, he prepared who would share the gospel with them, and he prepared you to share the gospel with some people. You know, I was at Starbucks one time, and a man asked me about the Philippines. He said, how is poverty in the Philippines? I told him about it, and then he asked me about church. And I told him about the church in the Philippines. And he asked me about my church. I told him about the church, my church, at the time, which was in Los Angeles. And then I failed. I was trying to study for something, and I just said, I just was answering his questions, and then I was done. I did not assert or intentionally try to give him the gospel. I should have. Now, you don't have to be pushy with it. Here's what I want to say. We don't need to share the gospel with everyone we come across. You don't need to do that. But we need to be intentional with everyone we come across. See the difference? It's not a sin to not share the gospel with everyone. It's a sin to not be intentional about sharing the gospel with everyone. So are you looking for the opportunity? Are you praying for it? Are you ready? Are you spring-loaded that as soon as he says, Hey, tell me about the church. 
let me tell you about Jesus, you know. Some of us don't even have a track in our purses and wallets and in our Bibles. We're not ready. We're just not ready. But be ready. Be intentional with the gospel. Be ready. And some of you do have tracks. So I commend those of you who do. I, I know some of you do. But let's be ready to fulfill our ministry. So preach the word, fulfill your ministry. Next week, we'll talk about how you fulfill your ministry personally and how you fulfill your ministry corporately as a church family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meditation on 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We thank you for giving us salvation. And we thank you for giving us a ministry to fulfill. Lord, we thank you that Jesus died for all of the failures, like my failure, when I was at Starbucks. And a man asked me questions, wanting to have a conversation, and I didn't want to have a conversation because I was too busy reading a book or something. Thank you that Jesus died for my failure and my sins. And thank you that Jesus died for all of our sins. We pray that Jesus would speak through us to each other and to the lost in our communities, in our families in our church. Father, thank you for preparing good works for us. We pray that we would not walk around with a heavy burden to carry, but that we would walk around with joy, that you have prepared it for us, and your Holy Spirit will give us the power to do what you're calling us to do. Thank you for a church family to grow with, where they can gospelize us, and where we can gospelize them. Please continue to cultivate that culture in our church family, and give us church health in this regard. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.